Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com. And it is we are we are recording this right at the stroke of midnight. Uh, Scott Eklund Scott Eklund and I are are back in the Seattle area. Kim Grinnells actually went to the Apple Cup tonight. Uh, he was able to get a flight back, and I think he's actually on a flight right now as we speak, uh, trying to get back to Seattle. But Scott, uh, I think as you can tell from my voice, it's been a long. It's not only been a long night, but it's been a long day. A lot of things going on. I know a lot of things were going on with your family as well. It's blowing like crazy out. Earlier this week, I already had power outages. It's just been kind of a nutty week all over the place. But Washington takes care of business. They beat Washington State 51-33, 114th Apple Cup. They set a school record, Washington does, for total yards in an Apple Cup with 703 yards. Unbelievable effort by Washington going to the Palouse point out that win when it looked really, really rough going into halftime. What are your initial thoughts? Well, um, you know, it was a kind of a tale of two halves for Washington's um, defense. It really was. I mean, they allowed 27 points and I think over, I want to say over 250 yards in the, in the first uh, half. And then in the second half, they allowed six points and 129 yards. So I mean, just tail of two halves for Huskies defense and the offense just continues to keep rolling along. And Washington State's defense is pretty darn good. And Washington made them look silly tonight. Um, and how about the fact that in 114 years, no, or 114 meetings, no Apple Cup has seen more points scored between the two teams than what we saw tonight. Yeah, it is kind of nuts. What was it, like 70 something? 1976. No, 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 I know, but the total number was like 76, 77. Oh, no, no, like the total number was 83. Oh, was it? So, yeah, they yeah. beat it one then. They beat it by one point, yep. <laughs> and, and only because of Wayne Talapapa's fluke uh, touchdown run at the end. Well, what was funny is they had actually tied the, all, the second all-time record for total offense at 704 yards, which is the same number of yards they got when – they played Cal and beat them down there in 2016, but then they took a couple of knees. And so it ended up being 703 or 702. And then they adjusted it yeah. But they, because of that lost yard. Now all of a sudden it's third all time instead of tied for second, but all that quibbling aside, an unbelievable offensive effort for the Huskies against, as you said, the number one scoring defense in the PAC 12. Uh, they put up 51 on, uh, on the road, which is kind of incredible. Um, you know, just unbelievable 
uh, effort. And like you said, a tale of two halves to break that down even more, Scott, in the first half, Washington state had 304 total yards scored 27 points in the second half. They scored six points with 129 total yards. So they didn't even have half of what they had come up with in the first half to say that the Washington defense really came out and made the adjustments at halftime, were able to kind of corral Cameron Ward a little bit better than they were in the first half. First half, man, talk about missed opportunities, a ton of missed opportunities there. And on top of it, Washington was able to do all that while the offense was scoring at will. But when they weren't scoring at will, they were giving the ball away. And very rarely do you win a game like this when you end up minus two in turnovers. And yes, you can call like the loss and downs and things like that kind of quote unquote turnovers. And those are really, really important. But really to to lose the ball the way they did, to have another pass caught in the end zone again, just like the Oregon game, Michael Penix making a, a, a rough decision in the red zone. And then Cameron Davis with a with an, uh, a kind of a, a fumble that you just don't usually see from those guys to make those kind of um, those those uh, those kind of make those mistakes, and still the defense was able to come out and have a huge second half. I thought that really showed a lot about the resilience that Kalen DeBoer and the defensive coaches talked about this week. Yeah, and and they finished with, I mean, I don't know how many missed sacks do you think they missed? I mean, I'm guessing roughly four or five. I was going to say probably half a dozen, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they still ended up with six sacks, and I think all but one of them came in the second half. So, I mean, it was... It was, it was just, I remember sitting here just thinking, oh my gosh, they only have allowed six points in this second half after Washington State was going up and down the, the field on them at will. And like you said, Chris, it's very rare that you lose the, the turnover battle and the time of possession battle and the uh, amount of plays run, and you still come out winning the game by not just barely beating them, they beat them by 18 points. So it, this is just... Is it me or is, have there been so many weird games this year or <laughs> just things defying the normal logic of football? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, and, and we'll jump into the, the matchup between Washington's offense and Washington State's defense here in a minute. But one thing I will say is how often do you see a game where one team outgains another team by 270 yards on 22 less plays? Yeah, that it, just doesn't yeah, happen. I mean, yeah. it really just goes to the overall efficiency of Washington's offense. Their ability on third down was just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, what were they? They were 11 of 13 on third down. That You may not see that again for years because they just – I know they've been really, really efficient in general this season, but that's ridiculous. I mean, that kind of efficiency is crazy. And again, you know, 218 rush yards. Uh, Wayne Talapapa goes for 126 yards, 485 passing yards for Michael Penix and three touchdowns with the one pick. But I want to talk about the beginning of the game, Scott. Let's talk about that matchup with Washington State's offense against Washington's defense. Washington State wins the toss. They take the ball. And maybe a lot of people are thinking, okay, this is just their way of trying to jump ahead early, much like Washington did when they took the ball against Oregon. Is that kind of how the way you saw it? Oh, absolutely. I think they thought that they could move the ball in Washington's defense, and they thought that they could get out to a, 
early score, get the get the crowd involved in things. And and, uh, you know, they they were able to move the ball between the 20s. But when it got down into the red zone, Washington, I guess it didn't quite get into the red zone, but Washington was able to to bow up and and they forced him into a 50 yard field goal that I mean, you don't see a field goal that bounces off of the crossbar and goes the other way. Usually it pops out, but this one went the other way. So, you know, it, it was, it was just such a weird night. So, so many wacky things happened that, you know, and we've already talked about how it just defies the logic from the statistical standpoint, but Washington just, you know, wasn't able to get a lot of stops. Um, they, they were able to get a lot of third down stops, Chris. They just weren't able to get off the field because fourth down Wazoo in the first half was four of four. And that you just, it, 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 it was maddening. I'm sure there's people on our board who lost, you know, handfuls of hair from pulling their hair out uh, watching that. But uh, yeah, it, it was just a real, you just don't see a lot of things happen the way they did, especially on that first drive. Yeah, I don't, you may disagree with me. To me, when I saw Cameron Ward and I saw his ability to kind of run around and make things happen, yeah, earlier tonight we saw USC kind of do the same thing with Caleb Williams against um, Notre Dame. I thought there was a lot of Jaden Delora in Cam Ward's game. Yes. What he was able to do with Arizona at Washington to kind of extend plays. He didn't really want to try to run a ton. He was a lot more about extending plays and trying to create bigger uh, plays down the field with his arm. But really in that first quarter, it felt like they both Cam Ward and Michael Penix Jr. were misfiring quite a bit. I mean, Washington had 93 total yards in that first quarter. Washington State had 110. It was only 10 to 7. Washington State by the end of the first quarter. But man, second quarter, that's where everything, it's like everybody kind of got settled in. They kind of figured out what they were going to do. And then all of a sudden, it was like the defenses almost became non-existent. You know, just in that second quarter alone, Washington had 21 points. Washington State had 17. Washington had 233 yards just in that quarter. Uh, Washington State had 193. I mean, it was pretty amazing how they kind of went from, you know, Penix is overthrowing guys, and it looks like he just doesn't have his touch, just doesn't have the feel, maybe the cold is affecting him. To all of a sudden in the second quarter, it felt like he, he could almost not miss. He was hitting guys down the field. That first touchdown to Jalen uh, uh, Polk, where he just kind of stabs it out of out of midair and just hauls that thing in and goes for a touchdown. I think, I don't know if that helps settle Penix down a little bit, but that really seemed to kind of get them going and really kind of catalyze them. But Washington State's offense, you know, I just, other than, you know, Cam Ward running around and things like that, even in the first half when they were scoring, did it feel to you, Scott, like it was just a matter of time when when Washington would take the pressure that they were putting on with their front four and eventually kind of get him down on the ground, which unfortunately in that first half they never really did? Yeah, it, I, I thought that Washington was going to get home eventually and figure it out um, and eventually – you could see it in the second half where they weren't getting out of their rush lanes. They weren't getting pushed past him a lot and he wasn't able to get out and extend plays anymore. He was kind of stuck in there and, and felt very uncomfortable. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, getting after him, it took a while for them to figure it out, but I think once they figured it out, they're like, Oh, okay, this is how we keep him in here. And once you, once they were able to do that with Cam Ward, he lost a lot of his effectiveness. 
I also noticed too, and I don't know if you noticed this, but, and I don't really remember where it kind of happened, but near the end of the second quarter, Ward looked like he was kind of struggling, not really limping around or things like that, but you could kind of see him grimacing when they tried to pan in right on him. And at times, and especially on that last drive in the first half, it looked like he was struggling a bit. And I'm kind of wondering, we'll hopefully find out later from Kalen DeBoer and the coaches, but I'm kind of wondering if the halftime talk with the defense was, hey, we just got to tighten up some things a little bit. Maybe we'll tweak a thing here and there. But the bottom line is we are like 95% of the way there. If you guys can just figure out a way to get him on the ground, because you guys are basically there. That will mm-hmm. change the whole complexion of the of the way the defense is operating, and it will not only help everything up front, but that will give the guys in the back a little bit of uh, room to maneuver and, and, and can help them out as well. Is Do you think that's kind of what you saw? Yes, yes, exactly. I, I think that the coaches just said, hey, you guys are right where we want you to be from, from a scheme standpoint. They're doing exactly what you – now you just need to make the play when you get the chance to make the tackle. And, you know, look – Kem Ward is, is on scholarship for a reason. I mean, he's he's done this to teams this year, extended plays with his legs. But Washington, you know, harassed him more than he's been harassed most of the most of the season. Although I guess they did they gave out a stat he he had been sacked what 34 times this season, but um Washington just you know battered and bruised him as things went on. And like you said, Chris, he was grimacing, he wasn't limping around, like you said. But you can tell the hits were starting to take a a, a toll on him. Yeah, and, and just to make sure people know, Cam Ward was 33 of 52 for 322 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, the rushing, Nikia Watson was kind of their main guy, as we thought he would be. 15 carries for 73 yards with a long of 20 and one touchdown. And as far as receiving, the top um, players there for Washington State, Deshaun Stribling, seven catches for 58 yards. Smithson had seven catches for 58 yards as well. Watson had seven catches for 41. Uh, Robert Farrell had uh, four for 71 and the long touchdown. Uh, Lincoln Victor, three catches for 24 yards. So it wasn't like any one player for Washington State really exploded. I think Cam Ward did a really, really good job of distributing the ball quite a bit. But Washington really didn't get burned by anything really super big over the top. Long pass, like I said, was to Farrell for 34 yards. And that was kind of one of those scrambles where he just kind of found uh, some wide open spaces when the, the secondary kind of got hung out to dry a little bit because it looked like they were getting their hands on Cam Ward and it looked like they were going to put him down. And he's, he got he got slithery, he got away, and, and he was able to make them pay. Um but like I said, in that second half, wow. I mean, they came away in that second half and did such a good job of making the defensive adjustments and, and limiting Washington State to 129 total yards in that second half. A really, really big effort for them. Yes, yeah. And, and you know, the limiting limiting them the way they did, I, I and I wrote it up in, in the, uh, in the uh, live updates, you know, some of my thoughts. And, I said that the Husky defense was aided by the Husky offense because I think Washington State was starting to feel the pressure of having to keep up the scoring and doing maybe some things that they don't normally do. And I think that helps them out a lot as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and again, when you talk about a tale of two halves, Scott, it really truly was in terms of 
what Washington's defense looked like in the first half compared to what they were able to come out and do in the second half. How much of that do you think the offense had a hand in when you kind of look back on it quickly and maybe initial thoughts? Do you feel like the offense was kind of like, guys, we're going to keep scoring. All you need to do is just give us one or two stops and we'll take care of the rest. Do you think there was some give and take with the, with the offense and the defense there? Well, I think maybe not actually uh, verbalized give and take, but I think the defense realized, hey, our offense is going to have their way with this defense. And so if we can just tighten things up, like you've said, Chris, tighten things up, maybe make a few plays when we're actually there to make the play, uh, not miss some tackles, and and finally get some guys down and, and possibly even get a turnover. Now, they didn't get a turnover, but you know Jeremiah Martin did have that one forced fumble on, on one of his sacks, uh, on the night. And, um, he, you know, and, and why, you know, that, and then, like we said, the, the turnover on downs that they had a couple of those, that definitely, those definitely are turnovers as well, even though they don't count that way. But I mean, they're essentially the same thing. So, um, Washington needed, needed to, you know, tighten things up defensively. And I think they do play off of the offense a little bit, um, a little bit more than we're used to because the Husky offense, Washington's always, when they've had success, they've always been a very good defensive team. And this offense is just so explosive that I think teams really feel a lot of pressure from that. And that allows the defense to maybe tee off, pin their ears back a little bit more and know that, hey, these guys are scared. They're going to try and do some things. We need to be there to make plays and make stops when we get the opportunity. Yeah, I also kind of wondered, I made a note at halftime where they really looked like there was Washington's defense was using a lot of sub packages. They were bringing in a lot of guys whenever Washington State was subbing a certain way, they would bring in three, four, five guys at a time. And I'm kind of wondering if in the end that helped them maybe be a little fresher to handle things in the second half because Washington, Washington State had 50 total plays in that first half. And it's not like they really slowed down the second half. They had 39 total plays in the second half, 89 total plays. And Washington had 67 total plays, which will tell you just how efficient they were. Washington averaged 10 and a half yards per play throughout the entire night. And what did Washington State total? Or 4. what would they average? 4.9. 4.9 yeah. yards a play. That will tell you just how – I don't know – the last time Washington averaged 10, over 10 yards a play, which is incredible. But again, that tells you not just how efficient they are because each team had 12 drives. Washington State had to run a lot more plays and they ran a lot of tempo. And at times that really did catch Washington off guard. But there were other times where it kind of backfired too. And they had at least one or two times where the snap came and Cam Ward wasn't ready for it. And they had to either eat it or almost fumbled it. So they had some issues, some some operational issues there as well. Um, it's still kind of incredible. I, I, I am going to be really, really curious breaking down this film in the next day or two, seeing exactly who was able, able to get as many plays as they did. Obviously, Pro Football Focus will have the number of snaps. I think that'll be kind of crazy because, you know, guys like Javon Parker really made a difference in the second half on defense. Uh, Cam Fabiclan had started the game. So I wasn't sure how they were mixing him in with Alex Cook and Asa Turner because Dom Hampton also played a ton. So I don't know if they were just playing almost more of a dime at times. But, yeah. uh, you know, they also had a number of guys rotating. We even saw Braylon Trice come in and play like a little bit of Mike. Like 
they wanted to use him as kind of offset the line to be able to maybe spy a little bit on Cam Ward. Like I said, I'm going to have to really see some of the nuances and mechanics behind what uh, William Inge and Chuck Morrell were trying to do defensively because it, it obviously really took time for it to gel because that first half just at times it just did not work at all. And then the second half, it seemed to work really, really well. And I'm kind of wondering how much they really changed or how much, again, like I kind of went to at the beginning of this, Scott, kind of went, you're 90% there. You just need to figure out a way to get that extra 10%, get Cam Ward on the ground, contain him because you can't stop him and kind of go from there. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I just, I mean, I still, I'm looking at these stats as you're listing stuff off. I mean, Washington had 10 penalties for 104 yards in this game, Chris. Oh, I know. I mean, it, 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 and they extended one drive with two costly uh, personal fouls. And, you know, and that that was in the, toward the end of the second quarter, right? That was the one that finished off the half, right? I can't remember. I think that's correct. Yeah. But yes, with the, you know they had 11 tackles for loss. Washington's defense did. They had six sacks. They could have had double that number, I think, yeah. easily. There, you know, the penalties I think kind of even themselves out. I know Washington was probably the beneficiary of one um, pass interference in the second half that really helped them. But I, I counted at least four late hits that yeah. weren't all. Three of them on Jalen McMillan. And yeah. so I don't, I don't know how. I, I just kind of my operating assumption is all that stuff kind of evens out in the wash. I just thought the turnovers really were going to affect them in a way, and to be able to overcome them the way they did was exceptional. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, let's go. Let's move over to the other side of the ball Um and talk about Washington's offense. We've kind of sprinkled it in a little bit already, but I want to go through some of these stats because these stats are absolutely insane. Michael Penix, 25 of 43 for 485 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. And that is going with the idea that in the first quarter, he was six of 11 for, I mean, he just was not completing a lot of passes. And then, Mm -hmm. and they were 13, he was 13 of 22 in the first half. So he was no. still barely a little bit above 50%. He was, he had second half, he obviously went nuts. I mean, second half, he, <laughs> if you look at just the second half alone, he went 12 of 21 for a touchdown. He did have the pick, but he threw for 243 yards. Well, which he, is interesting his, because he threw for 242 in the first half, but that felt like it was more kind of big plays. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you think about it, the, the, uh, 
one pass that he completed, you know, for his touchdown was 75 yards. Yeah, the very, and very first play of the third quarter. Very board, first play of the second, the second half. So. And, 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 and check this out, Scott. What, what might be the craziest stat of all, this was only the second time all year, they did not score on their opening drive. Yeah. I mean, to, as efficient as they were, as amazing as they were overall, they didn't score. But what they did do is they buried Washington State at the two-yard line. Great play by Don Hampton to down that ball at the set, at the two-yard line. They were Jack able McAllister. to get the ball back. Got to give the punter the, the, some credit. Oh, yeah, Jack McAllister. <laughs> no, great. It was great. Kind of one of those end-over-enders uh, downed at the two. Were able to get the ball back inside of Washington State 45, and then they were able to score from there. So, um, a really, you know, you played a little field position early. You didn't get the ball early. You got the ball coming out of the second half and really made Washington State pay for that. But to be able to do that and then get that that kind of that snag for six um, from Jalen Polk, that was a great way for Penix, I think, to kind of settle in. And then he had the dart that he threw to Roma Dunsey from 47 yards out. That was the second touchdown that just was as pretty as you draw it up. I mean, I know he's been doing that all year long, but that just, that was vintage Penix to me. Yeah. Um, one thing, Chris, as well, I, I mean, he, you could tell he was off. I don't know if the, the weather was bothering him, if the balls were a little slick or something. I don't know what it was, but that first, that first quarter really was more just the first drive or two. He just did not seem on. I and mean, even his touchdown pass to Jalen Polk um, was high. And and Jalen made a nice play and then was able to run it in for a touchdown. But um, everything looked a little bit high. And then his on his interception, he just overthrew it. He had two guys open. He just overthrew it. And so he just looked not like completely himself. But if 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 only my life could be where I'm not completely myself and I still am able to throw for the you know have the equivalent of 485 yards passing and three touchdowns. So. You know, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And and Chris, you know, and I know we're going to get to McMillan and O'Dunsey's night here in a second, but Washington now has two receivers over a thousand yards. And I think that's only the second or third time. I'm, I'm sorry, only the third time in, in school history that that's happened. Yeah, I have to go and look at that, Scott. I know that uh, when Roma Dunsey was the first one to go over a thousand, that was the first time since John Ross in mm-hmm. 2016 that Washington had a thousand yard receiver in a season. So congratulations to Roma Dinsey. I think Jalen McMillan went over the thousand yard mark with that 75 yep. yard touchdown. Yep. If I remember right. So congratulations to J-Mac. The, the two phenomenal efforts today, just rounding out the stats, um, you know, the receiving stats from Penix, Jalen McMillan had six catches for 150 yards with that long of 75 and one touchdown. Roma Dunsey had five catches for 157 yards, long of 48 and one touchdown. Jalen Polk had four catches for 82 yards and one touchdown, long of 41. And uh, Giles Jackson with a couple big catches, uh, two for 37 yards, uh, long of 25. Jack Westover had two for 14 before he got uh, taken to the locker room. I, I believe with a concussion. Uh, yeah, well that 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 hit looked like was targeting. Yeah, he looked woozy there. Yeah. Uh, Devin Culp had two catches for 12 yards, long of eight. And Taj Davis had one catch for 12 yards. And then rushing, uh, Wayne Talapapa, 13 carries for 126 yards. Cam Davis had six carries for 55 yards. And then Michael Penix, 
two carries for 34 yards, including that pass back from yeah. McMillan that ended up being logged in officially as a 30-yard rush touchdown. Um, how long do you think Ryan Grubb has been sitting on that? Because Ryan Grubb pulled a couple things out of his bag tonight that I thought were really, really inventive. Yeah, that one uh, third down snap, right? It was the third down snap, yeah, uh, to Talapapa, direct snap, where it looked like Penix was walking to see what the coaches wanted him to do, but they snapped it to Talapapa, and he goes for, what, about 10 yards, whatever it was. Yeah, that that that's a hell of a play because, as you notice, you notice every time they do the check with me. And uh-huh. to be, and so it would be so easy as a defense to be kind of caught off guard with that. Lulled. You yeah. get lulled into it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, um, you, you said about that double pass, you know, I, I don't know how long he's been sitting on it, but I think that's something they've worked on a few times. Cause that looked flawless the way the offensive line got out in front of McMillan and basically was his ex escort to the, to the, to the, uh, to the, or I'm sorry, Penix, not McMillan, how they got in front of uh, Penix and just escorted him right into the end zone. Yeah. He showed, he showed some wheels too. showed a little yeah. bit of speed little bit of elusiveness I thought overall that was kind of I don't know what point where you felt like whatever Washington State was going to throw at Washington's defense Washington had the horses to match it on offense I don't know when you got to that point but when I got to that point in this game was that double pass and run I just felt like at this point Washington's got the Cougars on their heels they don't know they don't know if the ball is stuffed or pumped at this point and they just they have no idea where to go because Washington can run on them now. They can throw some short stuff at them. They can go over the top. And even though that stuff over the top did not work initially, I think it set things up down the road for them to be successful when Penix kind of dialed in the, the you know, his throwing and, and, and how far he had to throw it and kind of those types of things. But overall, um, what an amazing effort from the offense to yeah. do whatever they did. And like I said, was that kind of the point where you felt Washington was not going to get stopped by this defense? I don't know if it was right then, but it was right around then that I started to just feel, okay, as, as long as Washington isn't turning the ball over. And I know that happened twice in the second half, but I was like, as long as Washington doesn't turn the ball over, I don't know if this defense can stop the Husky offense. And that proved to be true. Yeah, because at at one point before the fumble, Cam Davis's fumble, they had scored five straight touchdowns. You know, between yeah. the first, second, and third periods, because um, yeah, yeah. they scored on the very first play coming out of the locker room, second half, and then that next drive is when they fumbled it. And really, at that point, I think that's why those turnovers are so shocking. And maybe they weren't shocking to you, but they were extremely shocking to me, because up to that point, they had only run a couple plays, but they had gained 32 yards they still weren't getting stopped at all and even the following drive when they when Penix throws the pick into the end zone that's a nine play drive 64 yards four minutes it just feels like they're going to be their own worst enemy because Washington State can't stop them the only team that's going to stop Washington right now is Washington and that's why it was a little unfortunate to see it because it really came at a time when Washington could have extended and really put the game out of reach at that oh, yeah. point, and they just kind of stopped themselves. Yeah, absolutely. The Cameron Davis fumble um, just seemed like a, a good play by Dayon Henley. 
you know, and there's a reason that guy's a Buckus Award finalist. I mean, that guy just flies all over the place. And, makes yeah, and just to remember, watch, for Washington fans, Washington really wanted him badly. They, yeah. I if I remember correctly, he came out on an official visit to Montlake and, and did the whole thing. And and uh, I think even USC at one point had offered him late, and he picked Washington State over both of those teams. So that was mm-hmm. a huge get for Washington State at the time. Yeah, and and I just – you know that so that but that play for Cameron Davis, I, I can at least say, all right, well, he he has to have better ball security. But that was just also a heck of a play by uh, Deion Henley. But the interception by Michael Penix, the guy's rolling to his left, so it's not like he's going against his body. Going to his left, he's got two open guys out there. I understand why he threw it. I just it would it was so off that Romo Dunsey barely even stuck his hand out. And, um, and I, I don't know. And it seemed like he could have run for 10 yards, didn't it? I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it sure seemed like he, he had some grass in front of him and uh, just didn't take it. So, I mean, I, I remember just shaking my head and going, my gosh, they should be up by double digits easily right now. And they aren't. And then <laughs> they come back and they get the score and Peyton Henry, <laughs> just, it's a, and you I remember you sending me the text Chris it's like if it's not one thing it's another you know and you know it just seemed like Washington didn't like the fact that they were up so much and well it was it, it was weird Scott because in some ways Washington state wasn't necessarily handing the game to Washington but they were doing some subtle things that were taking the game away from themselves like when Cam Ward scrambles for that two point conversion after they score, after the, the Cam Davis fumble, Washington State goes and scores, and then they go for two, and Washington again had him dead to rights, and he scrambles out, going to the corner, and because he did not have the ball in the right hand, he had it in his left hand, the ball never crossed the plane. Yeah. And so he, he literally denied his team two points on a mm-hmm. situation that should be 101. I mean, yeah. he, he, I don't know why he just didn't turn up field and just literally lunge into the end zone. I yeah. mean, he could have very easily done that. And oh. he, he literally, he did the same thing. On, the, on the next, that third down play or fourth yeah, second down play? Series, or the series yeah. after that. Now, it didn't necessarily cost him on that set of downs, but he did the exact same thing. And I'm just like, wow. I mean, whatever is happening here, it's not as if Washington State is really trying to take it to Washington. They There is something going on here where they are not either confident in what they're doing or Washington is just sowing enough seeds of doubt and throwing enough stuff at them where they're making it either confusing or difficult in some fashion. Because that 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 idea seemed hard to believe when it was 28-27 and a half. At that point, we were thinking that the, the scoring record that you noted, we thought that yeah. could get blown out of the water by the end of the third quarter. I yep. just, it didn't feel like any defense was going to stop either one. And not so much credit to Washington State, but that Washington State held Washington to 16 points in the second half. Um, or excuse mm-hmm. me, to 23 points in the second half. But for Washington State, again, to only score six points in that second half, such a credit to Washington's defense. And I set it up, Scott, I don't know if you saw that, but when Washington was up uh, by eight and they had a chance to really salt that game away. But when the Cougars actually stuck them at their own two-yard line, Washington's two-yard line, and Washington ends up going on a 94-yard drive. Yeah. 
to kick a field goal to go up two scores. Well, I told I told everyone on the board, I said, this is their 2018 moment. This is where they can go for that 10 minute drive to basically kill the game off. And now I know they don't have <laughs> they don't have Miles Gaskin at their disposal. They don't have Savon Ahmed at their disposal. But I'll tell you what, Wayne Talapapa did a nice uh, nice imitation. Cam Davis did a nice imitation. Cam Davis got a great third down, and then uh, and then on that very next play, I think went for like 25. So they they did a really really good job uh, because I think that that drive it didn't go 10 minutes, but it went like over six, and yeah. that's plenty good enough. Even though I know Washington fans were disappointed they didn't score a touchdown as as you should that they should have scored a touchdown they should have just kept running it but either way you had to get points to go up two scores and to do it with a 6 minute drive that's as soul crushing as th- that drive yeah. in 2018 as far as I'm concerned yeah absolutely it is and i mean it, it's kind of like that uh, Oregon State drive um at the end of that game and you know, I mean, Washington has stepped up. It seems they seemingly have stepped up every time that they've needed a big drive. They've gotten it, and whether whether that's just because of Michael Penix, whether it's the direction of uh, Ryan Grubb or Kalen DeBoer or whatever it is, every time they need a big drive, they get it. And they they were making some key third downs, Chris. It wasn't like they were making the you know they were gashing these guys. They were they were it was like third and six a couple times. And they they were getting enough yards to <clears throat> to to just keep extending the drive, and I think Washington State started to get kind of frustrated. And like you said, Chris, that was soul crushing because I think Washington State was like, "Hey, we're within eight points, and we've got these guys pinned down on the three. We get a stop here. We should be able to go in and score at least a touchdown and give ourselves a chance to to tie it up." But Washington put the, all those thoughts out the door with that drive. Yeah, no, it was it was exactly what was needed at the time. And the only disappointing part about it was they weren't able to punch it in for seven. But I guarantee you there are a lot of Washington fans on our game day board tonight that really wanted that last touchdown. Do you think do you think Telepapa was do you think he was milking the time thing on that? Or or you know, he's a he's a guy that wasn't part of last year's Apple. No. I you, I think he was doing it as a way of should I just slide here so we can just run it out. Yeah, it's such you know, an interesting. It's such an interesting thing because you think it goes against every instinct that a runner would have to score, right? Yeah, it absolutely does, and and I can totally see why he would be concerned that that hey, should I just slide down here and you know do a hook slide and and get us out of here? And and he just decided, nope, I'm going to go in. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, Scott, that play was so deja vuish for me. Because I go back to that 2018 drive in the fourth quarter and Savon Ahmed, kind of that B-gap, kind of off-right tackle, off-right guard, right tackle, mm-hmm. just kind of slithers around there and then he cuts it to the outside. And I remember when Savon basically had pay dirt, he could have gone, and I think he actually did stop short. I think he mm-hmm. actually just kind of fell down. But he could have scored, I think. Um, that so reminded me of what Telepapa was able to do. And but this time, obviously, he, he kind of slow played it and then finally jumped into the end zone at the very last minute. I know that made a lot of Washington fans happy on our on our game day board. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's it's a little salt in the wound for Washington State. And after what they did last year, I don't think a lot of Husky fans are going to feel sad for them. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's jump real quick. I, you know, I want to wrap this thing up here in a little bit. But there's a today, this weekend in general, as far as the Pac-12, was very, very eventful. I mean, first of all, you had USC beat Notre Dame, so they're on track to get to the uh, college football playoff as long as they win the Pac-12 title. I think if they do win the Pac-12 title, uh, they are in. Do you, do you agree? Yes, I, I, I think it would be a big upset if they didn't. Especially with LSU losing, uh, Clemson losing. Yeah, um, there's there were some some teams in the mix around them that lost, which should help open the way. And I think they would still be ahead of Ohio State. I, I just I don't see any reason why Ohio State would be picked ahead of USC. No. That, that's my opinion. If uh, if, you, if Ohio State had lost by three points to Michigan, there might be an argument, but they got their butts handed to them. By yeah. So so one thing that I was really curious about, and I tell you what, it never even dawned on me until people started talking about it post game. You know, the way that the Pac-12 changed its standing so that there are no North Division and South Divisions anymore. It's mm-hmm. just all one Pac-12, one happy family. But the way it's worked out the top two teams in terms of win-loss records will not be playing each other in the Pac-12 title game. Is there any sense in your mind that Washington got screwed a little bit here? No, not at all. And I, I agree I with that. So. I don't. I don't think so either. But, but if they had played Utah, and and not, you know, well, if they had played Utah, you know, they would have had the tiebreaker and and they would have had it over Oregon as well so but no i i think utah and what and usc are the two most deserving teams to be in there and um i think they're the two best teams in the conference as good as washington is this year i think those are the two best teams in the conference and um i don't have a problem with either one of those teams being in the in the conference final game yeah i think they're the two most well-rounded yeah if i had to pick um and and to be honest it's it is a situation where you know, typically, if it was North versus South, you would get US, USC and Washington. And I know a lot of Washington fans would have been really, really even more happy tonight about that kind of outcome. But in my opinion, everybody knew what the shot was going into the season. This is not a scenario where all of a sudden the conference decided midway through the season, oh, we're going to yeah. we're going to change things up. Everyone knew. And. Even DeBoer and the Washington coaches and what have you, they'll say even by winning 10 games, that is phenomenal. But they know they left meat on the table. They know that that loss at Arizona State is oh. a crusher, an absolute yeah. killer. And, and and it's not worth dwelling on because we already hashed it out when that happened and it was a bad game and they just had a bad day at the office and they had some things go against them. And they had a, a team at Arizona State that was playing for an interim coach that felt like they had something to play for and, and more power to them. But those two losses back-to-back, US, UCLA and ASU, I have talked to some of the players 
after those losses, especially after the Oregon win, that were kind of like, I don't know if we would have beaten Oregon if we hadn't gone through those losses and gotten yeah. tighter as a group, gotten you know more on point, more on the same page with the coaches. It really helped solidify what we were trying to do. So there's something to that as well. But at the end of the day, it, it there is some sort of rough justice and, and, and kind of irony that the first time they go away from north and south, Washington should have gotten a chance to play in it. Just like even in 2020, yeah. they had, had a chance to go play in that game if it wasn't for COVID. So there is something that's keeping Washington out of the Pac-12 title game for whatever reason. My feeling is, would the Rose Bowl be the game that makes Washington fans forget about all that? Oh, I, I think so. Rose Bowl or Cotton Bowl, I think fans would be happy with either one. But m- I'm much more happy with a... Uh, with a Rose Bowl berth. I mean, think, just think about that first year. I mean, it took Don James, what, three years? Yes. His third year. Yeah. It yep. took him three years. Um, it, it took um, Rick Neuheisel three years, I think. Two years. Or two years. Okay. And then um, Chris, Chris Peterson, it took him. Well, I mean, if we're going to count the CFP, I mean, he went to three straight New Year's game, New Year's Bowl games. So, <clears throat> but but that was after three years for him. So, <clears throat> this doesn't happen all the time. First year, I mean, it's it's amazing what Kalen DeBoer and his staff have been able to do. Oh yeah, it's pretty amazing. John Wilner's on record Saturday night. He put out there that he thinks um, Washington will play in the Rose Bowl if USC wins the Pac-12 championship and gets to the college football playoff in part because Utah played in the Rose Bowl last year. Yeah. So they, so they want to spread the wealth a little bit. Washington's got all sorts of credentials in terms of what they've done offensively in the season. It's going to be a big draw with Michael Penix. You give Penix a reason to play in the bowl game because I I kind of agree. You posted on the board uh, earlier this weekend saying that if it was like maybe holiday bowl or lower, he probably doesn't play. There's, there's mm-hmm. probably no reason for him to play, but in a in a beat in a, in a New Year Six game, with the prestige of a Rose Bowl, with the chance to play maybe in Ohio State, maybe in Michigan if they lose to Purdue, maybe Purdue. I mean, there's there are options here. There there's going to be some thoughts on who that team could be. It's not set in stone, just like it's not set in stone that Washington could get in the Rose Bowl. But I think right now, the way they are situated. I think they have to feel really, really good about where they're at and the possibility of playing in Pasadena, because I know there's a lot of Washington fans out there that if you can get to Pasadena, that's a season that has been made. And Mm -hmm. I I would imagine that you probably agree with that. Oh, absolutely do. You know, I mean, obviously the point is you want to win championships and things like that, but if that's not going to be your, your lot, then getting to the, getting to a, the chance to get to a title game, or I'm sorry, a, a big time bowl game like like the the Rose Bowl and a, a place where Husky fans just have so many fun memories and you know Washington loses that really good game with uh, Ohio State a couple years ago in 20, 2018. You know I I just I just think it's a great opportunity for the Huskies to go out there and and uh, really really do what they need to do to, to put this this uh, program back on the map nationally. And and a win in the in the Rose Bowl would do that for 
Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I think that, um, you know, it is interesting. I, I posted something on Twitter and I, I was kind of wondering for your thoughts. What's the, what's the stranger thought that this team has gone from four wins to 10 wins in the span of 12 months or that they've gotten to 10 wins and aren't playing in the Pac-12 title game? Yeah, yeah. That's so weird to think about. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's a good question, Chris. I, I, I guess I would say it's probably getting from four to eight wins um, is is a little more amazing to me. But that's right up there too. That you know, you get to ten wins and you're not even playing in the conference title game. But you know, that's kind of the way things go. <laughs> it's just, it's weird. It's very strange. It's very, very strange. Hey, yeah. Scott, it's we're, we're getting into the wee wee hours here. We're going to close it up here, but I do want your thoughts on one more thing because there were some teams that did lose in front of Washington uh, earlier this weekend. Um, you know, we saw uh, LSU lost. We saw that Clemson lost. Oregon obviously lost. Oregon State. Um, there were some. So, where do you think ultimately? Um, not just the AP or, or, or the coaches' polls, but the, the all-important college football playoff poll when it comes out on Tuesday. Washington's 13th right now. Where do you think they jump up to? Do you think they get inside the top 10? Yes, I think they will. I think they'll be about ninth. I, I, I think that I think that's a probably good spot. And, and the way Washington is playing right now, I'd say that's probably where they belong. Yeah, I think ninth or 10th sounds probably about right. Yeah. Which really, ultimately, there's a lot of people that kind of wondered if Washington could get into a New Year Six game. I think, to me, when you're a top 10 in the college football playoff poll, that should solidify any thoughts about playing in a New Year Six game. There should be absolutely no doubt mm-hmm. that they play in one. Like you said, it may not even be the Rose Bowl. It could possibly be the Cotton Bowl, which I think would be really, really interesting. If Do you have, a, do you have an early thought in mind as to who they might play? Oh no, I haven't. I haven't looked at that. I've been so focused on getting our stuff written, Chris. But that's the thing: the the committee, the college football playoff committee, are the ones that not only determine the semifinal games for the playoff, but they also determine the rest of the teams for those New Year Six games. That's the reason why Washington played at the Fiesta Bowl, for instance, against Penn State. That was all done by the committee. And so people need to remember this. There's no real natural tie-ins. There are some that they want to have and want to retain some natural tie-ins if they can, like with the Rose Bowl, for instance. They would love to create that that kind of that historic Pac-10 or Pac-12, Big Ten feel if they can if they can get away with it if it makes sense. But if it doesn't make sense, there's nothing stopping the committee from picking two different teams, and they've done that. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah, also, they have. and they also, I, like with last year, they also picked, or not last year, but um, a couple of years ago when they could have picked Utah, they picked USC instead. So they just, as long as they can rationalize it, they can pick a lot of different teams because of a lot of different setups and different scenarios. So I'll be very, very curious to see what their thoughts are with Washington specifically on Tuesday, but also just who's still ahead of them, uh, who could be some of the teams that around them that they could maybe get paired up with, not only maybe in a Rose Bowl, but maybe a Fiesta Bowl, maybe a Cotton Bowl, whatever, you know, whatever those open dates are. I don't, honestly, I can't even remember where, which games are the semifinal games this year. 
But uh, those other four games, those other four bowls, they obviously uh, could find themselves very easily in one of those four games. Yeah, and I I mean, I'd love to see Washington versus an Ohio State. That that would be a really tough game uh, with the way uh, Ohio State is offensively. I mean, that could be another game like last year's Rose Bowl where it's just the last team with the ball uh, winning the game. But um, I'd really like to – to get another crack at Penn State. Um, and, you know, they finished off pretty strong this year. I wouldn't mind getting a crack at LSU or Tennessee. Tennessee is pretty dang good. But, um, you know, I, I, I think it will be real interesting. I mean, it's a possibility they could get Clemson, too. I, but, you know, I, I think TCU, USC, as long as those two teams win their, their conference, I think Michigan and Georgia, those are, the, those are the four that I expect to be in there as long as they do what they're supposed to. Yeah, and what's actually kind of interesting about that is, is that in theory, Georgia and Michigan could probably lose their conference championship games, and I don't know if it affects their status one iota. Mm-hmm. It's just very, very bizarre. It's almost yeah. like the SEC championship game right now and the Big Ten championship game. I'm not sure how much they mean anything at this point. Yeah, uh, by the way, I just looked it up. Peach Bowl and Fiesta Bowl are the two um, semifinals. Okay, so it'd be what? Orange Bowl, Rose Bowl, Cotton Bowl, and sugar. Another one. Sugar. Sugar, sugar Bowl. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So good, Scott. Any final thoughts as we wrap this thing up? Um, just hard to believe where we're at. Like you said, Chris, 12 months later, and we're talking about a 10-win team after what the debacle that we watched, you know, as things wrapped up last year. So um, <clears throat> just shows what good leadership. And a, and a really talented quarterback can do for a, for a college football team. Um, Michael, Michael Penix has been such a revelation for the Huskies. And this is nothing against Sam Heward or Dylan Morris. I think they could have some serious success in this, in this offense. But my goodness, what Michael Penix does, the way he delivers the ball to these guys, he gets it to the guys, the tight spirals that he throws, that – that one throw on third and I want to say it was like third and six, third and seven, whatever it was. He has guys all around him. He just steps up in the pocket and drills a Dunsey for like an 11, 12 yard play. And it, I just, I haven't seen quarterback play like that at the university of Washington in a long, long time. Yeah. I'd have to concur with that. I thought that was one of his best passes. I thought that was kind of quintessential Penix because we knew we had talked about it in our pregame how we, we knew that Washington State had kind of a penchant for throwing different guys into the box, coming with linebackers, coming with defensive backs, trying to confuse. I think that was part of the reason why Washington had to call a couple early timeouts was because they just wanted to make sure they were all on the same page and could kind of see where the different stunts and blitzes and things like that were coming from. And I think once they figured that out after that first quarter, I think it was pretty smooth sailing from then on out. My final thoughts, honestly, Scott, couldn't be happier for the seniors and the guys graduating. Not only do they avenge the 40-13 to 13 loss in the Apple Cup last year, not only do they finish off senior night the right way by, by absolutely cremating Colorado, but they come to the, they come to the Palouse, they're able to, to exercise some demons, and now guys like Alex Cook, um, you know, guys like Jeremiah Morton, guys like... Um, you know, God, who else would be, you know, the, the, the offensive lineman, Jackson Kirkland, Corey Luciano, Henry Bainavalu, those guys can say, yeah, we, we finished our career off the right way. We got a, we got an Apple Cup win in the in the Palouse, 
they'll be talking about that for decades to come. Couldn't be happier for them. That's the way you want to finish to go from four wins last year to 10 wins. Unbelievable in the regular season. Um, You know, at this point, I think I tweeted it out earlier. This was before the start of the game. I said, based on what Jonathan Smith had done at Oregon State, especially beating Oregon, coming back the way they did, I really felt if Washington had taken care of business against Washington State, that I would I would vote for Kalen DeBoer and Jonathan Smith to be the co-Pac-12 coaches of the year. And I and I don't see any reason to to shy away from that now. I think what they those guys have done, especially in a year where a guy like Lincoln Riley comes in first year and probably takes USC to the playoff. I mean, that's super, super impressive. But again, it's USC. A lot of that's kind of expected, especially with the players that they've brought in. For Washington to be able to do what they've done, considering the mess that this was uh, 12 months ago, is unbelievable. And so couldn't be happier for those guys, could be happier for the coaches to see what the Apple Cup is all about and to be able to take care of business and be able to to um, dispatch a really um, <laughs> a game Washington State team that clearly maybe were showing some things defensively where I don't know if they were kind of using smoke and mirrors on defense because they did still have the number one scoring defense. You don't average less than 20 points a game by accident typically, but we just saw Washington team hang 51 on them at home over 700 yards of total offense. I, I, I'm hard pressed to imagine a more efficient attack in a single game other than that 2016 game against Cal where John Ross made the golden bears look pretty silly uh, Jake Browning threw for a zillion yards. They ran for a, a ton of yards and um, and really put their stamp on that 2016 season, I feel, in that game. So unbelievable effort by Washington to finish things this thing off the right way. I think things are going to get really, really interesting in this next week. Not only what happens with the football poll coming out on Tuesday, but that Pac-12 title game with USC and Utah, if USC wins that thing. All Washington fans, I'm assuming, are going to be rooting for USC in that game. And if they can get if they can get uh, that Pac-12 title, get into that into that playoff, I do think that that Rose Bowl will be calling for the Washington Huskies right afterwards. So that's my guess. That's my thought, anyways. And we'll see how that pans out. So we're going to finish it out right there, guys. It's extremely late, early in the morning, Sunday morning. Couldn't be happier to be uh, bringing this coverage to you guys, and we really thank you all for sticking with us, and uh, hopefully this will be some enjoyable listening for you guys. So for Scott Eklund and Kim Grinnells, who's in the air, this is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com. Go dogs. now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.